This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Slocum Secret Mixers. If you can't bear neat gin, try some lovely lemony Slocum Secret, now in a convenient perfume atomizer for quick nips. Sleep better with a nightcap from Slocum Secret, now at Grace Brothers. Side effects may include erotic dreams of co-workers. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm Brandon. And I'm Jeff. And this is That Does Suit Matter, a podcast about Are You Being served. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Mr. Brandon. How are you doing this evening? I'm I'm doing great. We've been making a lot of new Unanimous friends. We have due to a certain indeed. event that, that rocked the world um, a couple weeks ago, did it not, Mr. Jeff? We Jeffrey? had so much fun <laughs> hanging out online with Tony Holmperm and Alexis Flame on their show, Naughty or Nice. Naughty or nice. I like how they do that. Yeah. They, they are a lot of, there's a lot of um, overlap for Mr. Jeff and I with two drag queens with big hair. Um, one of them in a lovely um, azure color, uh, <laughs> channeling Mrs. Slocum. And um, it was a lot of fun. So if you haven't seen it, um, where can they do that, Mr. Jeff? Um, they can look on YouTube. Under Naughty and Nice, which I believe is spelled with seven eyes, or um, eight or nine, something like that. Um, <laughs> if you look up, if you look up Tony Home Perm, are you being served? Or Tony Home Perm, Mrs. Slocum. I'm sure you'll the be able to find it. The easy place is our Facebook page. Actually. Oh yeah, that too. <laughs> oh yeah, we have a Facebook, right? And uh, because of that slight exposure, does this mean we're famous? I don't, I don't think so. Exposure? Um, they dropped the charges about that. <laughs> haven't seen that vicar for years. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, we've been beginning a lot of great, uh, lovely listeners. Uh, so uh, if you're new to the show, you you may not know that you are now known as the unanimous, the collective noun of the people who listen to the show. Um, so you're very welcome to the podcast. Yes. We want to welcome Matthew and Perry, Virginia, Eileen, Tim, Lisa, Tess, Joshua, Norman, Thomas, TL, Mary, Shivraj, Thomas, Michael, Karen, Aiden, Michael, Floyd, Dale, David, and Panta. You've all done very well. Thank yes, you for indeed. joining us on Facebook. And so if you haven't seen the video, um, so Tony Homeperb, that's T-O-N-I, uh, which is, if you don't get the joke you're not old enough but um, <laughs> um it's i think it's a home perm company called tony i don't know um anyway so she's a, a fan of the show and she found us on facebook and she and her gal pal alexis flame have a uh, facebook no it's a, a youtube live facebook thing a live stream. Um, they, they do a live stream show every thursday that's night what it's called. on facebook live and uh the replay is on youtube yeah, yeah. So uh, if you watched the live stream or watched it on YouTube, you got to see what the mugs of Mr. Jeff and myself look like. And um, one of us was wearing sequins and, and um, diamante sunglasses. One of us was not. And I'll leave it to your <laughs> imagination to see who was wearing what. Let's just say that Mr. Brandon and Mr. Jeff have two very different ideas of what it means to dress up gay. <laughs> He's wearing a blue button-up polo, and I'm wearing, like, a floral thing that, like, a grandmother would wear who went to Woodstock. That's all I'm saying. Tonight. Uh, tonight uh, tonight uh, as tonight. we're recording. 
Yes, so we had uh, the lovely Tommy Homeperm uh, dressed up in her fabulous Mrs. Slocum drag. Um, gotta say, I think her husband uh, is like the stylist. Is a stylist, yeah. The the wig is like fabulous. It looked like a, a lot of people. She was saying before we started recording the episode. Um, a lot of people thought it was an original Kath, uh, uh, Molly Sugden wore. 1977 wig from the show like it's that good so if you're a drag queen and you need some 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 wig styled hit us up and we'll be able to connect you some maybe <laughs> some really cool wigs um but she had like the frills her the look other, was very um, very authentic you know immediately oh pegged as mrs slocum there is no doubt that she was playing anybody else it was amazing, and um, I was trying to give my best Wilberforce Claiborne Humphreys vibe. I forgot to mention that on the show, but I think it may be a little evident if you see me. You looked very much like an Elton John impersonator. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's kind of like the scene when um, the, the, the nurse says, Oh, I don't think you look like a puff. I think you look like Elton John, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, but we, we it's fun. We had a uh, – so Tony Homeperm had an uh, – a contest between us. Um, a trivia contest. We, we did pretty well, I have to say, although I think Mr. Jeff should have won instead of it being a draw because I think uh, Alexis Flame kind of gave me a hint. So No, but it was very all... Very hard question. It was all fair and square. No, they were really, really tough questions. <laughs> they went deep. And um, Alexis Flame, who is a co-host, doesn't know the show at all. Like, she recognized the look that Tony Homeperm was going for. And so we gave her a little bit of education about the show, and I think that we piqued her interest. I think she was going to go and watch a couple of episodes. Alexis Flame, if you're listening, let us know. We'll all get together, and we'll have an arguing serve party. Now, how fun would that be? We could bring some Japanese tinned champagne <laughs> and... Uh, you know. Some roast poulet or caco van or eggs and chips four times. Which was yesterday's toad in the hole. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was fun. So thanks again to the lovely ladies of Naughty and Nice for inviting us. It was a lot of fun. So much fun. We got an email from one of our listeners. Uh, as we do on almost every episode, we ask everyone to call into the Peacock Hotline with their tips, with their suggestions, with their ideas, with their corrections, etc. And we got an email from a fan saying that um, they suffer from social anxiety and just the idea of leaving a voicemail, not even talking with someone live, mm. um, really kind of spikes their anxiety. So um, I just want to say that one thing that you could do, that our listeners can also do is they can record a voice memo and then email it to us. Because with a voicemail, you don't always get the chance to play it back. And if you're or not feeling confident or, you or rehearse it, funny, yeah. yeah. So you, with a voice memo, you could always do that, listen to it, make sure you like it, and then send it to us. And also, listeners, I also suffer from social anxiety. And um, it, it takes a lot for me to come on this podcast every week and record. It was a big struggle and a challenge for me to do the live stream last week with Tony Holmberg. But uh, gotta say though, I mean, I think you did great. Thank I mean, you. I didn't think you looked anxious, or I mean, of course, it was hard to get a word in because I was blathering <laughs> on the whole time. Yeah. Um, so I just want to encourage <laughs> anyone that might also be suffering, when if you're feeling brave, try and take that extra step and yeah. and reach out to us. And we know we know what it's like. So you've all done very well. And that's really nicely said. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, it's a good point because even with the podcast we do, I edit the show. And we do make up mistakes. Like, I might 
uh, <laughs> what? What did I just say? So I go and edit that out. So, you know, we sound really good because we can edit things out. So, um, you know, sometimes when you leave a voicemail, even I kind of rehearse, what am I going to say, right? So, yeah, if you if you get a little anxious, you can always go to your voice memo app on your phone, record it. If you don't like it, do it again, and then email us the one you like. Or try, the, again, um, or try again next week. Don't put the pressure on yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then just email it to does suit madam with an E at gmail.com. So there you go. Good, good idea. We also got uh, two other emails from superfans Heather and John who reached out to us. Thank you very much. Hello. Uh, and so we want to take this opportunity to remind everyone to wear a mask and wash your hands because the pandemic still isn't over just yet. <laughs> Not yet. And um, today is the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's murder. So mm -hmm. I think it's very apt for us to continue saying Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Yes, indeed. So season eight continues to muddle on through. We've had some really cool episodes. We've had some episodes that are less cool as others, yet still canon. So we still love them, uh, even though they're not our favorite. They still are being served. But... Um, what are we going to discuss this evening, Mr. Jeffrey? So we are talking about Series 8, Episode 7, The Erotic Dreams of Mrs. Slocum, which is the last episode in the regular series um, before the Christmas special. This one has a lot of the elements of an episode that Brandon loves. Yes. I, I, that, <laughs> that is an accurate statement that is impossible to deny or refute. Okay, so I know that we're in the year 1981. What exactly, when did this episode air originally? So this originally premiered on May 28th, 1981. And I know you have been pushing me to keep it up and light and gay. Upbeat, happy, and light the, and gay. Just keep it light and gay, Mr. Mr. Jeffrey. Well, I'll do the light part. Um, but mm -hmm. we're, we're going to do a light, <laughs> not so light, then light uh, feature in the news. So a not light sandwich between gooey, delicious, moist uh, slices of, of, of Wonder Bread. Uh, moist. Gooey. Gooey bread. Okay. Waiter, cancel my... Um... Cancel my egg and chips. <laughs> okay, so, that week in the news, <laughs> Barbara Walters famously asked Catherine Hepburn, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? So, this line has been butchered in Saturday Night Live. You know, um... <laughs> Uh, Gilda Radner does her Baba Wawa impersonation. Where she, like, <laughs> Baba Wawa. And, and it's, it's so stupid. It's so funny. Th I think this line is like the epitome of the journalism. Like, what kind of tree would you be? If you owe a twee, what kind of twee <laughs> would you be? <laughs> but Do pe yeah. Catherine Hepburn had an answer. She came up with an answer. She said she'd, she wanted to be an oak so she could avoid Dutch elm disease. That's the most boring answer. <laughs> okay, well, what I'll else, ask you... What else are you going to answer to that question? Oh, I have an answer. I'll ask you the question first. Well, what, ask, what tree... I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Cyclades so I can smell like you-know-what in the summertime? That's disgusting. <laughs> um, I would be an aluminum Christmas tree from the 60s with one of those rotating lights. The rotating color lights. Yeah, that is, that's a very good answer. Very accurate <laughs> indeed. I mean, if you think about my, my look from the video, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely look like a plastique Christmas tree circa 1968. 
Yes. Mod, mod, mod. Oh, yeah. Has anyone ever asked you that before? And have you had that rehearsed or? No. Although I remember um, kids TV film movie thing, cartoon, <laughs> where th- this thing was made. And the, the ans- she, was asking, uh, she was asking Oprah Winfrey. And her response was, what kind of tree would you be? She said, I'm a weeping willow. And she starts to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Quite witty when you're 10, I hear. There you go. Um, In not-so-light news, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control reported on a strain of pneumonia affecting five homosexual men in Los Angeles. And we all know what that turned out to be. The summer of 1981 is when what would eventually become called AIDS and HIV was kind of discovered. Right. Well, it was originally called GRID, uh, gay-related immune disease, I believe is what that stood for. So that is the not-so-light news, yeah. but now we have another one coming up, don't yeah. we? So 21-year-old Yale student Maya Yang Lin won a competition to design the Vietnam War Memorial in Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that is a little lighter. Have you seen it before? I have. I've been, yeah. It's, it's a stunning, uh, as memorials go, like they all kind of get a little, not boring, but what's the word? Um, Monotonous. Mundane. Yeah. Predictable. Predictable. Yeah. Um, but this one really is moving. You know? It is. It is. It reminds me a lot of the um, Irish Famine Memorial in Boston. Hmm. In yeah, terms, I've not seen that one. In terms of its its strikingness, right? Um, because mm, you know, yeah. it's it's the kind of thing where the, the 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 Irish Memorial in Boston and the Vietnam Memorial in D.C. It's somewhat out of sight depending on your approach. As yeah, that kind true. of thing where all of a sudden where you turn a corner or where like you come slightly over a crest, it just comes into view. It was an eventful week when this was first aired. It was. It was indeed, Mr. Brandon. <laughs> so let's get into the episode, shall we? Let's do it. So we start off and we see that Mr. Harmon is peeking through the um, entryway into the ladies' fitting room. So behind the two velvet curtains. <laughs> and he's actually following orders trying to attract Captain Peacock's attention, which might be the first time in the entire series of the show. That is very true. Um, although, do you think that maybe he was on, on pins and needles because it was a ladies' fitting room? He felt a bit nervous, maybe. I, well, I don't think he was, like, in the ladies' part of it. I think he was, like, in, like, the stock part. Oh, yeah, yeah, Because like, yeah. if, if you think about that, there's that first part where um, they keep the hats in the millinery. Where um, they got, uh, they were trying to hold up the ladder in the the palm reading episode, and a man will be at your feet. Exactly right, <laughs> yeah. and then behind that is the the change area, right? Okay, you probably have diagrams and schematics and things. There's blueprints. There's blueprints in, in the dark web, right? Um, <laughs> the dark web. And he tries to att- attract Captain Peacock's attention before walking onto the floor. By blowing a raspberry. So there's good old Harmon coming back, right? Very cheeky. He announces that the department has won the first prize in Grace Brothers' Lucky Lottery. And this, that line, um, that, it hit home. It hit really hard. Um, well, that's because painful. I'm, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not a sports person by any stretch of the imagination. But when I used to work from an office... I'd always participate in the March Madness brackets and the Super Bowl squares and those kinds of things. Because spreadsheets are involved. Yes, we understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's that, it's that kind of like just group game that 
we don't really have anymore in the mm. pandemic. So it's just like, yeah, oh, I missed that a little bit. Anyway, um, so their prize was a box at the ballet at Covent Garden for six people. But Harmon mispronounces it as Convent Garden. Oh, interesting. And so I went back and I looked at I was wondering, well, was it known as Convent Garden for a period of time? And he just, you know, old habits die hard. No, it, it's been named Covent Garden since the 1500s. So this is just oh. him using um, a malaprop for what the word actually came from. Because Covent actually came from the word Convent. But, you know, the thing about London geography, they have a lot of funny pronunciation. That is things. true. That is true. Lots of silent letters and extra letters where there shouldn't be. Like, like St. John. Oh, no, no, no. Silly American tourist. It's St. John. Right. Thank you very much. What about the district where, um, where Grace Brothers is? Is it Mary LeBone? Oh, my God. Um, Mary LeBone? Mary LeBone, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Hey, I'll give myself a, a glad of ding for that. Thank you. So Captain Peacock asks where Mrs. Slocum is. <laughs> and Miss Brahms hurriedly says, oh, she's in the fitting room taking off her coat. And then we cut to the p- fitting room and we see a close-up of her pouring a gin and tonic out of little airplane bottles. Oh, I'm just taking a slimming pill and I've run out of water and I can't bear neat gin. <laughs> so, so instead of having more water, she's having gin, but then she can't just drink gin she has to put something else. Oh, and then a little bit of lemon. Oh, and there's now it's a cocktail. Oh, okay. Right, and she can't have Very the, clever. The, just the tonic water. Surprised she didn't bring out a packet of crisps as well. Little pork scratchings. Mm. Um, th- this, this takes on a little bit of a maudlin tone, especially the way that the camera is zoomed in on her pouring the bottle, and then there's another bottle, and the open tonic, and the slice of lemon. It's mm-hmm. very much after-school special feel. Right, where you get that... Oh, like, hey, kids, don't be like your drunken auntie. Right, where you get, where you get that close-up of the drunken auntie mixing the cocktail first thing in the morning or whatever, right? And then they, they zoom out, and then you start to hear the dialogue. Um, so we, we, get the, we start to get the sense of, like, oh, this might be... This episode might have some yeah. dark tones to it. However, I think they do try to address it in the most comedic way possible. And this definitely isn't... Um, a morality tale of Mrs. Slocum falling into alcoholic despair. It's about her having these crazy dreams about a man that she has worked with for 20-some-odd years and knows is a confirmed bachelor, and she doesn't know what to do about it. So, Yeah, it, I've, I've always said that I'm fat. As I've gotten older, you know, this show was the Mr. Humphrey show to me, and it right. still is. But um, I get more and more like fascinated by the character of Mrs. Slocum and how Molly Sugden is able to portray like a very sympathetic, relatable, like she's someone who's lonely and who hasn't been lonely in their life, yeah. and you know, like she's always trying to be a little bit better than she probably is, right? And there's a lot of comedy that comes from that, you know, people trying and failing, yeah, right. That's a lot of the comedy of the show right there. Like, someone thinking they're posh. Like, Miss, Miss Brahms, like, um, oh, we have round and brown and round about 40 pounds. Nick is a knocker shop. Right? <laughs> so, like, she can't really do it. She can't and it's kind it of funny. Yeah. But, yeah, this episode, like, there's a re- lot of really interesting, uh, sincere acting that uh, Molly Sugden does. As, and, and as I have said in other episodes of the show, 
I would have loved to see a really cool drama acted out by Molly Sugden because I think there's a lot of people who would agree that behind every good comedian is a good dramatic actor because it takes really good observation skills to kind of see what is funny and a lot of things behind comedy is kind of sadness, right? Which we kind of see in this episode a little. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head with the idea of, of sympathetic because that is how she yeah. plays the character in the entire episode and I would say in the entire series. You know, all of those, all of the totally. times when she says something that's classist, it's not because she believes that she's actually better than Miss Brahms or anybody else who's working class. But it's she. She knows that she's not, and it's what she aspires to. She doesn't do it out of malice towards anyone else. And you're absolutely right. You know, behind every good comedic actor is a good dramatic actor, because they need to be able to do the analysis to find what's funny, what's sad, but also be able to have levels, right? To yeah. be able to 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 grow with the the anger, the despair, the 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 the, the height of the drama. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think of um, Jim Carrey in The Truman Show. Yep. Right? I mean, that was like, I think that kind of, I don't want to say killed his career, but people are like, oh, it's the mask. It's Ace Ventura. Oh, right. he's being dramatic and yep. serious. I don't want this. And then also, of course, Robin Williams. Like, some of the best acting I've seen is when he's not being funny. Right. You know? Well, so we it's inter interesting. We know now that, you know, that he was pulling from his own. Uh, mental health struggles there. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Here's a hot take. Uh -oh. um, Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love. I'm going to ask Blockbuster if they have that, if they can <laughs> reserve it for me, because I've not that, seen it. That movie got panned, um, but I actually think that he did a really decent job in it. Um, huh. Spanglish, I think, is another one, another Adam Sandler one that is, um, let's call that a dramedy. Yeah, because it's got some dramatic elements to it. Let's talk about Surge Soda next so that we have a whole <laughs> 90s trifecta. All right. right. So Mrs. Slocum uh, pours <laughs> some gin into a perfume atomizer in order to take it with her on the floor. Uh, first of all, great use of the word atomizer for describing what that spray bottle and is. And the jingle, thank you, at yeah. the beginning, yes. Uh, and this is very reminiscent of Series 2, Episode 2, Cold Comfort. Um, where she puts a little bit of... Oh, yeah. And then Captain Peacock drinks it or exactly. something, and, and it's perfume. And he drinks yeah. the perfume instead, right? So <laughs> this is the one where they're trying to keep warm, as opposed to cold store, yes, yes, yes. where she takes the rum and pep to fight the corpuscules. They're surging rum. through her veins, right? Did you know that if you're ever cold, and this is a good one for you listeners in the world where it gets really cold, if you get stranded and you think, oh, what? I'll just do what Mrs. Slocum did. I'll drink all my whiskey in the glove compartment. It actually makes you colder. It yeah. doesn't actually keep you warm. It makes you think you're warm, yeah. but yeah, it's not a good idea. Like maybe have half a shot as a reviver, but don't. And you know, you, you're, you're honestly probably do one if you're stuck in a snowstorm, you know, yeah. but. Uh, but keep it at one. Anyway. Yeah. Um, a lady customer co uh, comes in to return a shrunken sweater, <laughs> and she is played by Brenda Cowling, who played the cook Mrs. Lipton on another Lloyd and Croft show, Yurang Lord, and she also played the nurse on series one of Adrian Mole. Oh, one of your my favorite, favorite shows, thing. yeah. Okay, and that's this, cool. This is the bit that you pointed to, I think, during the Naughty or Nice uh, um, bit, where the label doesn't shrink but the rest of the sweater does, right? <laughs> yeah, so explain what, what happens. It's such a, I was, I was actually thinking, 
I was actually thinking what a clever joke this is and how the audience should have roared into laughter, and they didn't really. But how clever is this joke about the label? It, it is a pretty clever um, comeback when you think about Mrs. Slocum having to think of it on the fly in order to refuse the customer having a refund. But you also hear Mrs. Slocum ever so slightly slurring her words, right? Mm. And being very obstreperous with the... Um, Easy for you to say. With the customer. I love how, like, she, she pushes her belly into the drawer to close to it. To close because it, Because right. if you had a couple of drinks and you're annoyed, that's probably how, that's how I would act. Yeah. Right? I, she's just such a good actress. So the actual joke is this woman comes in and she's like, hey, it says right here how to do it. And I, I washed it this way and it shrunk. I need my money back. And then Mrs. Slocum says, oh, madam. You know, she's that condescending madam. Uh, she brings out another one and she, she compares the label of the regular cardigan to the one that she brought in that shrunk. She said, there, see, the label has not shrunk. You will not get your money back. And then, of course, you know, it's, it's so ridiculous. No, well, I assumed it would be referring to the cardigan. Well, I'm sorry, madam, we can't do it. Well, I'm going to remember your face. And then she, she pulls does a this face, very yes. juvenile thing where she puts her two fingers in her, the corners of her mouth and then stretches it out and sticks her tongue out. Um, what a little, uh, you know, I love Molly Sugden when she acts like a little girl or a drunk person. And she was definitely like she a little girl in that scene. Yeah. So she confesses to Miss Brahms what her troubles are, and it turns out that Mr. Slocum has been having strange dreams about Mr. Humphreys. Uh, he's, quite, he's quite different in my dreams. <laughs> We're left to wonder what that means, so. right? Uh, it turns out that um, last night her and Mrs. Axelby went down to the Green Man for a quiet drink for a mm. nightcap. Uh, they went in at 8 and didn't leave till 11.30. So how much of a nightcap was that? <laughs> That's not exactly a nightcap. Now, Love it. one of the questions that came up that um, I think Alexis Flame asked, asked us during the Naughty or Nice is which one of us is Mrs. Slocum and which one of us is Mrs. Axelby? That is such an excellent question that they asked us. And we didn't, like, answer it because it was just four people talking with a delay and blah, blah, blah. But... Um, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure what that even means. Well, I'll hazard a guess. I think that I'm probably the Mrs. Axelby because I'm the soft-spoken, supporting one that is the foil <laughs> to your cock. Yeah. I do throw a lot of bad jokes on the show, and you do laugh at them, so, so you do get a bell for that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Gladys. Thank you. <laughs> Um, over on the gentleman's counter, Mr. Humphreys is confiding in Mr. Spooner about what he did last night. And mm -hmm. six of his friends ended up at this bloke's flat who has a video recorder and belongs to an X-rated adult video library. That's a lot. I love how he was like one of those d electronic video recorders. You know, like he, he had to kind of explain what it was. 1981, right. that was like the height of technology. Right? right, exactly. And very pricey. So then they start um, they, they start talking about it. And Mr. Humphreys is talking about the noises he was hearing coming from the video because the, 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 it was just audio only at this point. Because oh, it broke down Because it broke down, right? And he's like, well, whatever they were doing, it sounded like they were outside. And Mr. Spooner said, I suppose it was an orgy. 
And I clutched my pearls a little bit. I was really surprised and scandalized to hear him say the word orgy on 1981 BBC on a Thursday night comedy. Well, I mean, if you think about, like, all the sex jokes they always talk about, and, like, I see a bit of the pink, and Mrs. Slocum's cat, and da-da-da. But I guess the word, or, I mean, yeah, maybe it's very, uh, to our juvenile, virginal American ears, the idea of someone saying the word orgy is like, oh my god! But over there, it's like, people have sex. You know? Right. By the way, sweetie, people have it off. People have it off. (laughs) I was about to say that. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of ab-fab for you there. Yeah. Um... Miss Brahms confesses to Mrs. to Captain Peacock that she's worried about Mrs. Slocum, and mm. we see that she's um, she's talking to Mr. Klein and wants to buy a romantic present, uh, perhaps a pair of gloves for a certain gentleman, whose hands oh, yes. happen to be the same size as Mr. Humphreys. And she's a such a little girl. Like when she wants to be flirty, she's like. Oh, about Mr. Humphrey's hand size, actually. And she's all bashful and adorable. Yep. I love her. So Mr. Klein pulls out the drawer and he's got gloves in every possible um, fabric and material that's made. Chi- oh Chinese rabbit, English mole, Venezuelan scotch terrier, kangaroo, chamois, leather, plastic, string, wool, and pigskin. What sort of personality does the gentleman have? And then she says with very determined eyes, Suede. <laughs> so I, I, I wasn't sure, quite sure what the joke was here, but it took me a second that it sounds like the word suede, S-W-A-Y-E-D, as in she's hoping he can sway him from his normal proclivities and normal orientation. Okay. Hey, I didn't think about that. I was just thinking of all of the types of gloves. Suede is the softest, and you could argue most sensual. Is it more sensual than leather? Or is well, leather isn't more suede s- a, a type of leather, like a soft leather, right? Right. I don't know, but suede s w a y e d. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. The word suede. I was thinking, trying to find, you know, when I was overthinking this joke like I normally do. <laughs> Never. I'm like, all right, is there a cockney <laughs> rhyming slang for it? You know, what is it? What is it? Polari, whatever. Um, the word suede comes from the French word for Sweden. Of course it does. Sweat. It's like spelled exactly the same yeah. way, right? I didn't put that together. We cut down to the canteen, and Mrs. Slocum isn't there because she's gone to the pub for a drink. And everyone else is left mm-hmm. discussing her. Um, what's going on it's because everyone's taken notice yeah. everyone's taken notice how she's behaving around mr humphreys and that she's been drinking a lot so mr humphreys lets them know that quite a lot of ladies have thought twice about me but the trouble is it's usually the second thought that puts them off <laughs> <laughs> oh mr right. humphreys i wonder what that second thought could be I like how it's very vague. You never really know why, <laughs> yeah. what that second thought is. So uh, we know, but maybe maybe we don't. That's the ambiguity. Captain Peacock plays armchair psychologist, and he thinks that he's got a cure for this. That if they can find someone else for her to become romantically interested in, then she'll stop having these dreams about Mr. Humphreys. So he suggests rather secretively that she advertise in one of those contact magazines. I guess personals columns must have been a new thing 
1981 for it to be so secretive. You know, yeah, I don't think it was new because I think they've always had, like, personal columns, you know. But I think it's, I mean, compared to today, like, back then, if you had to, you know, stoop to having a personal... Stoop. (laughs) Yeah, if you had to stoop to have, like, a personal romance column thing or a personal ad, that's the word. It was almost like you're desperate. You can't find anyone otherwise. But yeah. nowadays, like, it's weird to meet someone in person. Everyone's like, how do you know who they are, you know? So you kind of I mean, see especially, that. Especially in the last 15 months, nobody has met in person, probably. That's yeah, totally. Yeah. And then also the, um, um, it's just so weird that Captain Peacock is like, okay, our colleague has, um, I'm going to self-diagnose them as having a mental illness. So let's all talk about it. And now let's figure out what the way we're going to treat it. Okay, great. Let's uh, do it. On, on the company time. On the company right. time, exactly. Right. But it's a comedy show and it's not real. So that's okay. Mr. Spooner suggests that he write in with old bat seeks comfortable tree to hang in, <laughs> <laughs> which gets him banished to another table. That is so mean. Mr. Humphreys picks up on his um, gossip column writing days. Oh, right. He's editor, right. And suggests petite lady with own home seeks kind, understanding male companion of the opposite sex. But Mr. Humphreys, that's redundant. Well, in my experience, it's better to be safe than sorry. (laughs) But Mr. Humphreys would want... Okay, so explain to me, because this has always confused me, that line. What does that mean? What what trouble has he had with that? I think it's a play on words for people who might be cross-dressing or drag queen. Oh, okay. There we go. And it's also just the, this, the excuse and the giggleness of saying the word sex. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's like saying the word unisex. Oh, my God. Oh, what a funny word. Right? Right. And then Miss Brahms get a- gets asked what are Mrs. Slocum's interests. And she answers, pubs and that pussy of hers. I think this is the first time Miss Brahms has said the P word. Um, have we said the word? You and I on the show? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, especially in this episode, she's quite the pub aficionado. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then in the final cut of the scene before we uh, move to the <laughs> move back upstairs, Mrs. Silkham enters the canteen, supposedly having been at the pub. But she's wearing this Lady Godiva platinum blonde wig that goes down to her ass. In order oh, yeah. to be able to uh, attract the uh, the gentlemen of her dreams, mm. quite the rest of the I think this is the rest of the I think this is the first time that the other actors actually saw the wig, because they all break. You could visibly see Mr. Humphreys laughing, and the rest of them choke on whatever like <laughs> sip of coffee they just took. Right? You know, I didn't. I've never thought about that, but you're you're probably right. I think they probably kept. Molly Sugden in the wig, away from the cast. So on the in the scene, that's the first time they see her. And yeah, I think you're right because they absolutely like bust up, man. Um, Why don't we head on down to the canteen to see what her wig looks like? You know, this is a very wig centric episode, and I <laughs> like it. We'll be right back. Bum, bum, bum. 
Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And And you've you've all done done very well. well. Now I know what they were all laughing at because it was so odd seeing Mrs. Slocum in that platinum colored straight straight hair as opposed to the usual bouffant piled on top of her head. Um, did you get managed to get anything to eat down at the canteen? I did. You know, in honor of the great Alexis Flame, one of the co-hosts who interviewed us, I asked the chef, uh-huh. uh, chef the chef du jour, to make a special baked Alaska en flambe, uh, flaming oh. especially for Alexis Flame. <laughs> so quite exciting. And you, you, what did did you just watch me eat my? Because you just stared at the flames with your eyes really wide. As we ate, I kind of got a little worried there. I had a John Thomas, and then I asked for something to drink. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-bum. Wow. <laughs> we will learn what that means later. We learned what that meant last week. Did we? <gasps> yes. Oh, oh, Jeffrey, does your mother know you? <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other conversation you need to have with your mother. So. Uh, where um, were we in this episode of ours, Mr. Jeffrey? We cut back down to the gentleman's side of the floor, and it's been about 10 days since they posted the ad. Okay. Mr. Humphreys read the responses, and he sent telegrams to the replies that he thought were good, okay. instructing them to come to the store, ask for him, and he'll introduce them to Mrs. Slocum. Very good well, idea. So the first one is an elderly gentleman who's just a little bit like a dandy comes in. Um, did you recognize him? I did. He was, um, he's, he was from one of the other Lloyd and Croft shows, but he came in to the gentleman's side and played the fiddle and tried to get uh, a donation from Mr. Humphreys. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's Jack, it's Jack Haig who played the tramp from season eight, episode two, A Personal Problem. Um, and he's better known as Roger from LOLO. You're absolutely right. I, I often am, I find. Um, he takes one look at Mr. Slocum, <laughs> says, good morning, and walks back up the stairs and leaves, right? Aww. And then we have a little person come in. And I was a little, I, I was bracing myself. Me like, too. Uh-oh. And it's good this, that we did. This, this show, uh, I think it would not be unreasonable of us to expect that this show... 40 years ago, not be kind to little people. Or to anyone and, who is different from a light-skinned English person whatsoever. Exactly, exactly, right? right? But here's a hot take. Okay. I think that the joke holds up over time. Okay. So let's, let's talk about it. Let's play it out. First of all, the actor is Rusty Golf. 
Um, and he was uncredited because he doesn't have any speaking parts. Okay. But he has a long history of playing leprechauns, dwarves, gnomes, etc. Okay. He he was an Oompa Loompa in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, really? Factory. Oh, that's cool. And he actually played um, uh, Gringotts Goblin in the Harry Potter films. He looks a little familiar. Um, and I, it does hold to my theory that there's about 15 total English actors right. in the world exactly. at any one time. So the interaction is all mimed. He doesn't get a speaking part here. Mm-hmm. So he walks up to Peacock and he's got the issue of Contact Magazine in his hand. Um, and then Captain Peacock points over to Mrs. Slocum. Now, Mrs. Slocum is kneeling on the ground, putting her stock away. Okay. And the gentleman is thrilled. Like, he brightens up. He adjusts his tie. He because marches over Because he thinks Mrs. There. Slocum is a little person as well. He thinks Mrs. Slocum is a because little person as well. Because she's right. standing on her knees. Right. So, he gets to the counter. She stands up. And he runs away in terror. Like, he can't climb the stairs fast enough. Right? Yeah. So, my, my take on this is the joke holds up because... The little person is not the butt of the joke, and he's not the victim. It's the this confusion is, all, is the a, butt it, of the joke. It's a, sight, it's a sight gag is all it is. Okay, I will, I will hear you. I, I will see your bets. <laughs> okay. Um, the one thing that really got to me is when, and of course, this is my hero, Mr. Humphreys, uh, John Inman, uh, via the writers. Um, he says, or was it... John Inman or, or, or um, Mr. Barry, who says, hold up, or a up, maybe, maybe in that northern dialogue, a up, look what just walked in. Referring to him, the, the little person, as a thing, look what just walked in. That was annoying. So, oh, that, that's interesting. Maybe you didn't um, notice it, but it was something I did, yeah. I, I didn't notice it, but I, that's also just the terrible bad grammar of um, working class London. That you they'll know, replace, I didn't even think of that. That they'll replace their demonstrative pronouns with their um, uh, whatever the, the, the pairing is. is so for to the translate that, objects. instead of saying is, is who do saying you who, want, they, you might say what do you want. Instead of saying who or, or what, uh, they'll say what. Or instead of um, who, they'll say that, right? Um but but see, I didn't remember anybody saying anything about the little person whatsoever. Where did you watch it? I watched it on BritBox. I watched it on BritBox too. So as the lift opens, the guy walks out and he's wearing a suit, and then uh, Mr. Spooner and Humphreys are talking, and then I don't know who says it to whom, but one one of them says, "Uh, uh a up or hey, you know something. Look what just walked in." And then he goes to Captain Peacock and asks, you know, uh, the second anyone, I mean, it could have been an Asian person. It could have been an Indian person. It could have been anybody. And they would have like gone for the jugular because that's what they do in the show, as we have talked about in the past. And we shall talk about in the future very soon as well. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out that Mrs. Slocum had yet another dream uh, and about Mr. Humphreys where she dreamt he was the squirrel nut king. (laughs) Um, I don't know if that means more in England than it does in the States, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't cotton on to the reference either. Yeah. She locks him in an embrace and he holds up a sign saying help, which to me was very reminiscent of Wiley e. Coyote. The Roadrunner, road yes! Yeah, right. 
And he would hold up a tiny little uh, umbrella as a boulder is about right. to like smash him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we cut to Mr. Rumble's office, and there have been letters of complaint for the customers about Mrs. Slocum's behavior, calling her a crabby old cow, a tetchy old trout, and a miserable old bat. And Mr. Rumble <laughs> it's a whole uses one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mr. Rumble, well, the writers use one of my favorite words here that I, I love to be pedantic about, and that's the word tetchy. Uh, okay. T-E-T-C-H-Y. So I think the other place where this is technically used correctly, but it's probably just the, the actress's okay. thick accent, is in the movie Grease. At the very end of Look At Me, I'm Sandra D. Um, the Olivia Newton-John's character comes in and says, are you making fun of me, Rez? And Stalker Channing comes back and goes, oh, some people can be so touchy. But it sounds like she's saying, because of her, she's actually saying it correctly, mm-hmm. but because of her accent, she's probably saying the word that everyone else mispronounces it as touchy, T-O-U-C-H-Y. I thought it was always touchy, and yeah. I didn't realize touchy was an actual word. So what does touchy mean? Touchy means um, easily annoyed, irritated, peevish, testy, or erasable, prone to anger. Okay, so I shall ask for everyone in the unanimous. Um, <laughs> what is the difference between touchy and touchy? Touchy is just not the right word. It's an. Is it's, it a real word? It's an acorn. It's become a real word through to through misuse, but oh. it, it, it's what it's what's known in um, uh, language studies as an egg corn, e g g c o r n, where you mishear a word that sounds like another word or should be a, another word, and that becomes a word in and of itself. I, the the more you know, yeah. I learned. So I learned something. So if you want to be pedantic, if you want to be very prescriptivist about it, you should spell the word T E T C H Y Tetchy. Um, that does suit rhetoric. Uh, pedantic. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that has to do with one's toe. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> so Mr. Rumbold discovered um, some gin in the atomizer and also mm. in the mannequin's foot which she drilled a hole into to be able into a dispenser <laughs> it has a whole like mechanism in there and then hiding behind the brazier stand right mr Harmon comes into the office and found her in the four-hour bar next door um i'm guessing at that time in london there were limitations on how long you could be in a bar or how long the bar could continuously the, the pub could continuously run Okay. So maybe they had to take four-hour breaks or whatnot, or you could only be served for four hours at a time. I don't know. Well, I think when I was in the UK, they, they close in the middle of the day. Right. So that might have been it. They can only be open for four hours at a time before they have to like close for a certain period of time. I wonder if that means a four-hour bar would be one that was open in the middle of the day. And it can only be open for four hours or so, yeah. Because maybe. those are where the people who really need a drink in the middle of the day can go. Right. Mm. Maybe. Uh, Mrs. Slocum comes back into Rumble's office drunk. She's, you know, stumbling and slurring. And he gives her a breathalyzer bag to, um, to, he asks her to blow up the bag. In front of everyone. Right, which is where, you know, the the slang term for the breathalyzer comes from, even though it's no longer a bag. But back in the day, it used to be a bag. Um, 
you would blow into it and there would be a chemical called potassium permanganate in there and it would actually change color if oh, I didn't know that. depending on how um uh, how much alcohol was in vapor was in your breath and <laughs> apparently she has so much alcohol that it the bag basically rises up <laughs> as as if it were filled with helium right it's so cute like she 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 delicately places it on the on the desk and everyone's little face moves up as it gro- as it travels up into this into the ceiling it's right. so cute I'm and ridiculous, but that's what why it's so cute. I'm wondering why the nurse, either old Mr. Grace's nurse or sister, wasn't responsible for administer, administering the breathalyzer test. That's a good question. Um, this is me overthinking it, isn't it? Maybe. I wasn't going to say anything, <laughs> but since yeah. you did, yes. So we cut up to uh, old Mr. Grace's office, and he's wearing a tracksuit and riding a stationary bike. And we actually hear his secretary speak. His secretary has been around for a couple of episodes, but I don't think we've actually heard her say anything yet. I think it was his nurse, not his secretary, wasn't it? Or no, it well, was his secretary. Well, his, 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 nurse. his nurse was sitting on the back of, of the stationary bike telling that he pedaled all by himself. But then the nurse comes uh, yeah, in yeah, yeah. to announce the, the staff and um, the rumble saying, if the staff have to wait, they're going to ask for sandwiches and beverages. Okay, come in, you know. They had her examined by a real psychiatrist. Um, Surely this contravenes like some kind of like data protection or like health privacy act in the UK, right? Well, I think maybe situations like this is why such things have come into fruition, you know? Yeah. Uh, And the, the, the psychiatrist has determined that she's built up a fantasy world where she's deluded herself into falling in love with Humphreys. And when he didn't respond, she took to the bottle. Well, I didn't need to pay a hundred quid to hear that. And it's true. We figured that out <laughs> in the very beginning of the, the episode, right? Yeah. So the mm-hmm. cure is turning fantasy into reality so that it, it basically the dream is broken. Okay. And so they, they're trying to encourage Mr. Humphreys to get into it. And so they tell him, well, just pretend she's that girl on Dallas, you know, Sue Ellen, um, that was played by actress Linda Gray. <laughs> and he's like, I don't think that's going to do it. And so then Spooner suggests, well, how about Jr., who was played by <laughs> her, who was played by Sue Ellen's, who was Sue Ellen's husband, uh, played by Larry Hackman, right? Which I have to say, for 1981, that's kind of a direct, you're you're gay, Mr. Humphreys. That's him saying you're gay. Yeah, exactly. Which was a little bit like, where's this going to go? And then Humphrey says. Uh, it's the hat. And he, his, it's the his hat. His leg goes or something. Right. At the mention then, of the hat. Yeah. And then Miss Brown's like, your leg doesn't go like that for JR. And he's like, no, it's his hat, which <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Like no. they wear cowboy hats in Dallas right. on the TV show. Uh, okay. <laughs> Again, it's season eight at this point. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's the answer <laughs> to everything, right? So <laughs> yeah. they all plan that they're going to, that Mr. Humphreys is going to do it at the ballet. Because remember, they won the, the, the lucky lottery. They're going to see the yeah, ballet yeah. tonight. And of course, which ballet is it? The Nutcracker Suite. <laughs> you know, we could have seen this joke coming from a mile away. They've told this joke twice before on the series. Um,. Low-hanging fruit. Come on, Lloydcroft, you could do better. Even for no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the last scene is in the ballet in the box, and they're late because Mrs. Silkham needed to stop off for a drink. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And we see a little bit of a sight gag of all of them watching intently. They're watching the dancers go down the line and you see their eyes dart up and down and up and down so and up and cute. down. And then they follow each down. other and then yeah. they move. It's almost like the typewriter thing where... Right. Or you know. uh, when, some, when, they were, when the uh, actors are miming someone play tennis. Right. right. It that, was cute. It, that kind of it was, thing. I, I like sight gags like that. It's kind of like an honest comedy. Yeah. And you don't really see that a lot these days. You don't. Mm-hmm. You don't indeed, Mr. Brandon. Not at all. No, not you're at right. All. I don't know. All right. Um, if you pay attention, Miss Mrs. Slocum is eating a box of chocolates uh, while she's in the in the um, in the ballet seat. And I'm going to take a guess that these are probably liqueurs. That these aren't just plain old like cherry filled or coconut filled. I think you're right. Yeah. I think we'll we will find this come come out uh, very shortly. Yeah, Mr. The, the truth allowed. And. Captain Peacock is taking this opportunity to teach Miss Brahms about the different ballet moves. This is um, the pirouette. This is the entrechat. Oh, I know that. That's pussy. Right? We get another uh, oddly timed pussy word here, right? I love that uh, he's, he's telling to, to Miss Brahms, ah, this one's called the pas de deux. And then Spooner says, oh, I know what that means. Father of two. Father of twins. <laughs> um... Do you know what a pirouette is? I think everyone knows what a pirouette is, right? We don't need it's to like educate when you turn the around. Of, right. Do you yeah. know what the entrechat is? Um, I don't. So if you so imagine ballet dancers and imagine where they jump up in the air and they cross their legs like scissors back and forth in front of each other. Okay. Yeah, that's an entrechat. The entire time Ms. Brahms okay. is trying to encourage Mr. Humphreys, like telling her, him how to like put his hand on Mrs. Slocum's knee and give her a squeeze on the thigh and the, this whole thing, right? So, because, um, of course, Mr. Humphreys has no idea what to do because it's right, a woman and therefore woman. he so, would, you know, be completely ignorant, yes. So he goes to tickle her and she doesn't respond because she passes out because they are chocolate liqueurs indeed, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, he's so worked up from Miss Brahms squeezing his leg and tickling him that he goes for a tackle and tackles her and starts making out with her because he's so overcome with her teaching him how to hit on Betty. It is the weirdest ending of the episode, I think, to date. I think, yeah, I agree. I think they kind of, well, we have to end it somehow. It would be the craziest thing. But like they don't resolve Mrs. Slocum's alcoholism. They don't resolve <laughs> Mrs. Slocum's erotic dreams at all. And we see like Mr. Humphreys go gung-ho for Miss Browns, which has never been addressed before. This is my conspiracy theory. Ooh, go for it. <laughs> because they said, oh, maybe does, does JR make your leg go like that? Okay. Which is a little bit too close to the line for the BBC. Then they said, okay, if we have that joke, we'll have Mr. Humphreys attack, sexually molest Miss, Sl- Miss Brahms. Because you got to pull it back to prove that he's not Maybe. I, Maybe. Was it, was, it this episode, was it this show or was it another show where they were trying to do gay jokes, but they had to like, okay, if we do this, we'll take away this. Yeah. That, that was could, it this one or The Simpsons or something? That could very well be a good explanation, yeah. Do you think you can actually get drunk off of chocolate liqueurs? Probably not, especially when you got a tolerance like Mrs. Slocum's. It was a weird ending. Yeah, weird ending. Weird, weird show. Definitely one of the funnier ones of season eight, but still, it was very clearly a season eight episode. We got to see 
a fantastic wig reveal, which yes. feels like we're back on Naughty or Nice. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it was kind of a weird one. Yeah. And, you know, I think for us as gay guys, we, we part of our love of the show is the fact that Mr. Humphreys is gay. But he isn't actually gay, but he is gay. Right. But here's like something smacking that in the face. No, no, no pun intended. And especially like the sexism of like attacking your female, younger uh, uh, co-worker, among your co-workers. In the middle of the ballet. Yeah. And then Mr. Humphrey, or Mr. And then Captain Peacock has to like open his jacket up to like obscure them from other people. Yeah. You know, kind of weird. Yeah. So, um, next week, we're going to talk about the Series 8 Christmas special, Roots. And oh, this is the one my God. where they do a musical tribute to the Grace Brothers, tracing the Grace family all the way back to Africa. Oh, my. Let's just say uh, that. <laughs> that is... So, yeah, uh, you know, it's weird. When you go to the Are You Being Served Facebook groups... People up and down the comment board say, oh, my God, it's so stupid that we've, they've banned this. It's censorcism. Censorcism? Censorship? Censorcism. Easy for you to say. Exactly. Um, and Mr. Jeff and I have talked about maybe not covering this episode. Um, I think I'll speak for myself that I thought it was important we do so we can kind of talk about it. I am unanimous in that. Yeah, and also it's it's uh, Mr. Oh, it's young Mr. Grace's final episode that was actually filmed after no, it was filmed before he passed away. And by the time it aired, he had passed away. So it's sort of like a nice send off to him. Yep. Um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack. So uh, next episode we will unpack it and talk about it and try to. Um, Give it the context we think it deserves. So, Mr. Brandon, if our listeners have any um, preconceived notions or um, comments about Roots or any other episode, how can they get in touch with us and let us know what they're thinking? Well, fancy you asked that, Mr. Jeff, because I just know exactly how today can do that. Um, we have a Facebook page. If you've, if you've heard of Facebook, it's like a, a journal that all your friends can go to <laughs> on the Internet. Uh, Facebook.com slash, that does suit, madam, with an E. Uh, Twitter is does suit madam, and we have a hotline called the Peacock Hotline, which is six six two Peacock six six two seven three two two six two five. We also have an email that does suit madam with an e at gmail.com. and that is how you contact us. That's right, listeners, and as always, you you've all done, done very, very well. well. Bye, unanimous. That Does Suit Madam is not endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. Too many chocolate liqueurs can result in a dream about a nutcracker-turned-prince, the Mouse King, and a sugar plum fairy.